So it's a familiar tale of late. The US is doing a lot better than Europe and Japan not doing much at all. And bond markets are reacting to all of that. Whilst equity markets, well, they've figured out the future isn't totally rosy. Even in the land of the soft landing, maybe it's not looking as soft and lovely as they'd hoped for. And this week, inflation. Well, that seems to be fairly important right now, doesn't it? So we've got numbers about that for Australia, the US and Europe. It is Monday, the 25th of September, 2023. It's the morning call from NAM. Good morning. Well, U.S. Treasuries pushed higher last week, more to the long end of the curve, actually, almost 11 basis points for 30 years, 10 for 10 years, uh, less than eight for two years. But that's after quite a fall on Friday. Ten years fell six basis points. At the same time, 10-year gilt yields came down almost 11 basis points last week. Aussie 10-year futures, meanwhile, up over 25 basis points. And equities, well, a four-day losing streak so far in the US, minimal losses on Friday, but over the week, a 3.6% fall in the NASDAQ, 2.9% for the S&P 500, 1.9% for the Dow. In Europe, the DAX lost 2.1% last week. Locally, a 2.9% drop in the ASX 200. So not good news anywhere, except maybe in China, because the CSI 300 managed to climb 0.8% last week. The Hang Seng shot up 2.3% on Friday. Currency-wise, the DXY managed a quarter percent gain last week. Uh, the Kiwi dollar was up 1% on that rising US dollar. Even the Aussie managed a 0.1% gain, up to 64.4 US cents now. But the euro fell a tiny bit. The pound was down 1.1%. And commodities, uh, well, a 3.1% rise in iron ore on Friday, even though it was down 1.4% over the week. WTI climbed almost half a percent but was down 0.8% across the week, just over $93 now. WTI is at $90 a barrel. So what is going on, particularly in bond markets? NAB's Ray Atrell joins me today. Uh, so 10-year Treasury is touching 4.5% last week, tail end of last week, back to 2007 levels. Gilt's pulling back. Aussie 10 years pushing higher. This is presumably all driven by, basically, how far we expect central banks to go. Map it directly to that. I think so. Um, and, you know, certainly all of the you know, the bond volatility that we're seeing sort of does translate quite neatly to those that are, are still, you know, they may not be raising rates, but they're still making it clear in no uncertain terms that they, they're not convinced that they're done. Hence that uh, move up in mm. treasuries, as you say, to that uh, 4.5% level. And yet in the UK, that's probably the other contrast where the markets decided that they probably are done and at a lower level than previously expected. And so... Uh, and so gilts are rallying. Interestingly, Aussie bonds, um, you know, almost matching, um, or actually, I think on the week, probably exceeding the backup that we've seen in Is US Treasury yeah. yields, even though there's been nothing sort of locally um, to cause any rethink about um, about RBA policy trajectory. But um, certainly, um, you know, fully matching that uh, that rise and uh, perhaps providing a little bit of uh, stability for the Aussie dollar in the process. So Fed speakers uh, back and in full hawkish mode. And talking about not a hike, they're using the plural of hikes, so more than just one to go, it seems. That seems to be the, the message we're getting increasingly from the Fed. Well, certainly uh, uh, Michelle uh, Bowman is marking herself mm. out as one of the more um, hawkish FOMC members, saying, as you say, I continue to expect that further rate hikes will be needed to return inflation to 2% in a timely way. And uh, noting that the Fed's economic projections uh, still show inflation above 2% right up until 2025. And uh, uh, we've also had uh, Susan Collins. We also had Mary Daly from the San Francisco Fed. Um, you know, not using that plural term, but um, certainly you know, banging the drum as far as the um, the stronger, you know, the higher for longer mantra, at least anyway. But both of those two, you know, at least saying that, uh, you know, we can afford to be patient 
patient and we don't need to to leap into uh, to another rate hike at this stage so which i suppose is self-evident from the fact that you know they didn't actually raise rates last week no and look where equities are going so particularly small caps so the russell 2000 is down 11 percent from the end of july so you know tech and the big end of town might be doing okay obviously they've been taking a hit as well uh, but, you know, th- those bigger companies that have been able to hold on to their margins seem to be doing OK, but, n- but not the smaller players. And so that's that's got to be a concern, hasn't it? Yes, you'd have thought so. I mean, obviously, tech generally, not perhaps the uh, the magnificent seven that have got so much cash coming out of their ears that they don't need to uh, they don't need to be. Um, debt servicing is not a major part of their balance sheet, at least. But obviously, for the tech sector more generally, which are still you know, relatively heavily indebted, um, <coughs> excuse me, the latest rise in bond yields is not helpful there so um so i think mm. probably that's masking you know the overall performance of the tech sector at least in terms of what's happening to those uh, those real big uh, big caps um but yes there's sort of you know it's just the third consecutive week isn't it that equities have been uh, have been leaking lower i do think higher interest rates are part of the story but you know also perhaps some some concerns and i don't think that the uh, the auto workers strike in the u.s is helping and uh, the prospect of a government uh, shutdown uh, which we can touch on in a second if you like but that um certainly when we had the last uh, shutdown um, during the Trump administration, um, the equity market lost about 10% in the lead up to that. So maybe there's, there's something at play already there. Well, Bloomberg today is making a big thing about, about the R word. You know, that the, let's look at the, the share market and how this maps and the sectors that are going down and how that relates to recessions in the past. But it would be strange, wouldn't it, if you know people are starting to talk about recessions now that the Fed would be sounding particularly hawkish. It would be bizarre to see, you know, equities taking a hit, bond yields going higher, because you would have thought the two, you know, the, 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 it would be the, the excuse for the Fed to hold back and say, well, OK, let's see how the economy really shakes out here. Well, let's remember the Fed is an inflation-fighting central bank, and I think they've made it clear that if there's, there's no trade-off as far as they're concerned, um, sure, mm. if the economy looks like it's weakening, you know, to the extent that that translates into uh, to a more comforting view of inflation, um, then sure. But um, you know, impending economic weakness or recession is not in itself going to uh, you know going to provoke the Fed into a, an about turn on policy for sure. Um, you know, that said, I mean, on the on the recession side, I remember we did have those. Um, PMIs on Friday and the S&P, the US S&P uh, version, um, it was barely above 50 on the on the composite, well, sorry, on the services reading and the uh, manufacturing reading is still below 50. Now, the problem we've got there is that there's been such a sharp contrast between uh, this sort of younger vintage, if you like, of, uh, of, a, of a PMI and what the long established ISM surveys have been saying, where the services reading has been, what was it, 54, I think at, at last count in August and we won't get a fresh update until next week so at the moment there's a bit of head scratching going on to which one do I believe do I split the difference but um, certainly taking it face value at least uh, they did offer some indication that um, you know services may be joining manufacturing in, in sort of outright contraction territory so if you're really you know looking with a microscope for evidence that maybe the US is uh, you know is on the cusp of a recession there was certainly a little bit of evidence for it there. But, you know, if we look at the, just the composite numbers, just as a quick and easy way of comparing the US with Europe, I mean, 50.1 for the US, 47.1 for the euro areas, 46.8 for the UK. Want to go lower? 46.2 for Germany. Uh, although some of those have actually been, well, 43.5 for France gets even lower, doesn't it? And that, they, they are going backwards. Actually, some of those other ones, I mean, the PMIs, even though they, you know, they're, they're negative numbers, they're below 50, uh, so they're in contraction, but they are contracting... 
less quickly, some of them. They're not going backwards. <laughs> That's right, yes. It's a, it's a big list of numbers, isn't it? So we shouldn't run through all the details. And actually, Germany actually improved a little yeah. bit. But as you know, the, the services PMI is still sub 50. And uh, you know, I think you just sort of take the sites out a little bit and say, what's the absolute level of the, uh, the composite readings in the UK and Eurozone and compare that to the US? And you say that uh, on a relative basis, the US is still doing better. Uh, and that plays heavily to the, <coughs> excuse me, the narrative that um, you know, the US dollar is not yet ready to be sold until we see clearer evidence of a relative shift in growth. And, and obviously the interest rate story with the ECB, you know, clumsily perhaps signaling that it might be done at 4% and, and ditto the Bank of England at five and a quarter percent and the Fed not having a bar of that talk at the moment, you know, also plays to the US dollar stronger for longer now. So you've mentioned it, let's, I don't know if you want to expand on it, but yeah, two, two things in the US that are going to happen this week, one, well, may happen this week. I mean, certainly it looks like that auto workers strike is being extended uh, and so is it becoming you know is it going to be more serious is it going to have more of an impact on the economy and on, on, on equities and then the other one yes are we going to have a government shutdown at the, uh, at the start of next month yeah, well, certainly on the on the auto workers strike, the news sort of going into the weekend was that I think something like 38 um, car part uh, factories were going to be impacted. And whereas, you know, up until now, it's simply been sort of spot strikes here and there. So, um, you know, I think that mm. will feature somewhat uh, more prominently in terms of having some impact, certainly on the on the manufacturing sector. Um, I can't everything I read tells me I can't see how the, the um, um, you know, the, the holdouts in terms of the demands being made of the sort of Freedom Caucus members of uh, the House of Representatives. Um, I don't for the life of me see how they are going to agree some sort of continuing resolution to fund the government that is uh, in any r remotely likely to be approved uh, by the Senate. So on that basis, you'd have to say it's more likely than not that the government will shut down at midnight on Saturday. And uh, the last government shutdown that we had, as I say, was when uh, President Trump got into a spat with Congress over his demand for funding for a border wall. That was back in uh, Christmas, New Year, 2018, 2019. 35 days the government was shut down, the longest in its history. And as I say, we did see significant equity weakness running into that. We saw bonds rallying in a sort of, uh, in a typical sort of, um, you know, safe haven manner. And the dollar was generally weaker, even though um, it was a sort of risk-off environment. So I think that's something to bear in mind. Although I was also looking back, I mean, prior to that, in terms of sort of September the 30th midnight shutdowns, we've only had six in history between 1976 and 2013. Um, and they've tended to, you know, they've lasted between three and 18 days. So averaging just six days. So much less sort of potential for them to have any sort of macro or market implications. But I, I suspect that the, um, you know, the 2018-19 the, the uh, shutdown is probably closer to the template we should be thinking about this time around. And uh, just going back to PMIs, Japan's composite PMI, it's at 51.8 best of the lot. The core inflation rate hasn't moved. The headline rate month on month has fallen. The Bank of Japan, which was the last of the central banks to go last week, this is all on Friday, did nothing. Uh, but the yen lost ground. So Governor Ueda was not giving any suggestions, was he, that their approach is changing. So uh, we presumably dismiss all that sentiment uh, that uh, that gave a sharp rise that we've been seeing in the, in the dollar against mm -hmm. the yen. So we're, we're back to where we were. Well, dollar yen up to what 148.40 on Friday after the uh, UEDA press conference. As I said, he gave absolutely no encouragement to the view 
that a policy shift could be afoot. And so obviously that, remember that Yomiuri uh, interview we talked about uh, several weeks ago that did get the hairs running on a possible abandonment of negative interest rates as early as the end of this year. Um, he didn't seem to be having a bar of that in, in the comments that he made on Friday and dollar yen was higher. So I think, again, talking about risk events this week, um, you know, there's a, a pretty high chance, I would have thought, that if we're heading up towards that 150 level, then uh, BOJ intervention is going to come onto the radar. And uh, certainly the, the noises that we've had from off officials um, over the course of the last week are very consistent with those that preceded the September-October interventions last year. So I think that's something to watch, which again, which may have some ripple effects through to other markets. Uh, right. Today, fairly quiet. We get the German IFO, uh, but that's about it, isn't it, really? And then lots of inflation later on in the week. So we get the euro area CPI, the US core PCE uh, and Aussie CPI on Wednesday, of course. Uh, and, you know, uh, will that impact the RBA in any way? Will they need to raise rates? In November, well, looking at those bond yields, you'd be thinking that's a big question mark, isn't well, it? Well, you know, I remember we've been flagging that um, you know this particular monthly number is the one that will have a lot of uh, service sector um, price details that weren't mm. available for the other monthly. So, you know, and certainly, you know. Tappas and Taylor have been flagging the risks that, um, you know, services inflation could be uncomfortably high. So I think of keen interest, and certainly it's the highlight of the uh, the domestic calendar, but let's not go through the, the details of uh, what we're expecting then. We can save that for uh, another day this week. Save it for another day, absolutely. And which means you, you can go now then, uh, Ray. We're finished with you. Uh, we'll catch you again Brilliant. soon. Thanks. Thanks, Phil. Bye now. Can't wait to get off, can he? I mean, he is a very busy man. He's got a cappuccino to make now, and he's uh, got his English muffin to have, hasn't he, before he starts the day. That's it for today, though. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. I'm back again tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening. I'll see you then.